Welcome to the Brain Health News Podcast, part of Health Unmuted. This podcast was created by mission-based media in association with the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative. This was recorded live in January 2024 at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. This episode is hosted by Richard Louis, an author, filmmaker, and anchor at NBC and MSNBC. He and his two guests discuss the latest developments in Alzheimer's research. They delve into the breakthroughs in immunotherapy, the potential for early intervention, and the impact of new diagnostic methods. And importantly, they also explore the role of partnerships and collaborations in advancing Alzheimer's research and the global effort that's needed to achieve this goal. Enjoy this conversation, hosted by Richard Louis. Great to see all of you at the Davos Brain Health Impact Conversations with the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative, DAC. And my name is Richard Louis. It's great to be here to have a very good discussion with all of you, we hope. I'm at NBC and MSNBC. I'm also a person that used to be a caregiver. My father had Alzheimer's. This is why I'm so glad to be here for this conversation. We're in the studio with expert and advocate, Dr. Andrea Pfeiffer. She is the CEO of AC Immune SA, a Swiss company developing new medicines for Alzheimer's disease. She is globally recognized as a leader and strategist in the field and chair of the Global BHP Brain Trust. Good to see you. Shall I yep. call you doctor? Is that okay? Andrea is part. Andrea, okay, very good. <laughs> we are also joined by my friend, fellow Alzheimer's advocate and the founding chairman of DAC, the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative. Always great to see you, George Vradenberg. Welcome to you both. And we'll kick it off with you, Andrea. What are some of, if we're just hopping into this conversations, some of the developments that you've been watching lately in the Alzheimer's space? Obviously, we had a wonderful 2023 year with Lecanemab being approved, Donanemab being very close to approval. It was a major breakthrough because the first time in the last 20 years of history that was a real breakthrough, meaning we can slow down the disease. And that meant a lot, didn't it? Because how long had it been since we had that, a bit of a glimmer, if I may undersell it for a moment. Glimmer, not sure, but um, what you would call a glimmer, but to have yeah. a real scientifically proven yeah. benefit of 30 plus percent is absolutely a unique experience. And obviously there was a lot of learning involved. And maybe just to summarize that, the long disputed a beta hypothesis was validated. We could actually show that immunotherapy can target these pathological species in the brain. And uh, thirdly, we learned that if you treat early, you can have even more effects. So there was a lot of learning involved, which of course opens up a horizon for new medication. And that's my interest. So you and George don't get along at all, I imagine. Oh yes, we <laughs> spend a fair amount of time together. I am an enormous admirer of Andrea Pfeiffer's. So tell me about, she was just uh, remarking about this 2023. Catamount. I would echo what she said about uh, the hope. After all, this uh, disease was identified in 1906. And 117 years later is the first time we have a molecule that can interrupt the course of the disease to slow it down. Huge difference. But what Andrea has just highlighted is the fact that since we now know this disease accumulates these toxic proteins 25 to 30 years before symptoms, the idea that you can actually give a drug or a medicine or an active immunotherapy, otherwise known as a vaccine, to people well before they ever get symptoms and prevent the buildup of these toxic proteins is exciting possibility to open the imagination. 
to something, in fact, we had never thought possible. So what does this mean now, or we're in 2024, what does this mean for the next five years? I think we are all looking at what is next. And for me, next is moving to uh, intervention, even at an earlier stage. Even data from the antibodies actually showed that if you use the same molecules in earlier stage, you have double the effect. So we are going earlier, but hopefully we will be able to actually prevent the disease. And for that, we need to diagnose when the people don't have yet the symptoms and there are means available. And uh, we need to look for medications which allow you to treat in a way where we have excellent safety, excellent efficacy, which is cost-effective and logistically doable. So that's what we are looking at. And if you ask me, first active immunotherapy by 2029. Okay, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, 2029. Why do you say 2029, though? Is that because you feel that the energy, the resource that we are now, this cusp of what we're about to see, we've reached it finally? I think we have medication, medicines in development, which fulfill the requirements of safety, looking at the specificity of the pathological proteins, predicting uh, potentially the efficacy based on what we know from the antibodies. So we have learned all of that. So there are molecules now available, including ours. And what is even equally important is that we have now diagnostic means, because if you cannot, as George said, diagnose the people at risk, pre-symptomatic, when we have not achieved as much as we should to achieve the 60, 70, 80% of slowing of a disease, or if I could dream, prevent a disease. So what's exciting here, Richard, is that these new active immunotherapies are actually in clinical trials today. J&J just announced in December a major phase two trial of an active immunotherapy, tau targeting, developed by AC Immune, licensed by J&J. But Andrea herself has vaccines in clinical trials. And so that's why there's a merging sense of both we can do this and that they are safe. Because if you're going to immunize 100 million people around the world against Alzheimer's, which may be the volume we'd like to be able to do, you want to make sure that uh, immunotherapy is truly safe. And we need, if you're thinking of solving this disease globally, you have to have a very low cost, very easy to administer, very safe mechanism for doing so. And the world has gotten a great deal of experience with vaccines and pandemics and infectious disease. So the world has an experience of administering vaccines globally around the world. How does one benchmark fuel another benchmark in this space? Because we have not had one in two decades. So this, in the last couple of years, now with your research as well, is it all together happening? Is it random firings that are now coming together? How would you describe it for those who are not in the space of research that you're in? I think we are really at a crossroad between symptomatic treatment and pre-symptomatic treatment. We are at a crossroad because we finally have the tools available for early diagnostic, which we didn't have. We can now speak about precision medicine, and I'm coming from the cancer field. It took us years and years to reach this level, and there was definitely a breakthrough during the last two years in actually establishing even plasma and blood markers in order to predict who is at risk before clinical symptoms. That's absolutely extraordinary. And that is the basis to link that to a safe and efficacious 
active immunotherapy where you can actually provide maybe one shot, maybe two shots per year in order to prevent the disease. And just imagine if you could prevent this disease, what it would do in terms of social impact, in terms of economic impact. And, you know, we are talking about, a lot about vaccination and all these different things, but there is a huge impact for society, for humanity, but just for economics. One patient costs $120,000 per year. If you could prevent each of that with a one shot of a vaccine, it would revolutionize the health system. And finally, we would not speak anymore about the payers being willing or able to pay. It is affordable. Yeah, and one of the discussions certainly has been, and the two of you are right in the middle of it, is the chicken or egg when we talk about diagnostics versus immunotherapies. And I imagine now with the last year, on the diagnostic side, they're all going, this is great. We now have a market because we can actually treat it. Yeah, but to right now, the market is PET scans, uh, which are very expensive and very rare in the world. And neurologists, which are very rare and backed up. So right now, we've had Lakimbi, the ASI drug on the market in the United States, and there are probably fewer than 1,000 people on that drug because of the backups there. But I would say your question about what is triggering this sense of optimism is the fact the United States government policy, a regulatory policy and payer policy, demonstrates to people who want to invest in companies that there is a path to market. Now, this drug, a Lakimbi drug, the one that just got approved this year, has now been approved last year, you're right, 2023. Now been approved in Japan and just two weeks ago in China. So this drug has now been approved for what a population base of 2 billion people. Yeah. And so that says to an innovator, that says to the big farmers, that says to the great biotechs like AC Immune, hey, there is a path to market here. Talk about biomarkers and those who might be good candidates for these immunotherapies. George mentioned already, gold standard is still what we call the PET imaging which is very expensive and not frequently available, in particular in low and middle income countries. And not even in countries like Switzerland, for example, you have it in every clinic. It's a very expensive methodology and it will remain the gold standard for some time for final diagnosis of patients. But before that, for recruitment purposes, inclusion criteria, et cetera, et cetera, there are now plasma and zero markers available and CSF markers, which allow you to do that faster and cheaper. So I have a big hope that we can expand what has been established in America and the sort of rich countries to the other parts of the country, because there are these cheaper solutions. Now, this, of course, requires that you have also access to medication which is globally available and can be globally distributed. There are traditionally viewed amyloid and tau proteins in the brain that are viewed as the biomarkers for the disease. But now we're beginning to understand that there are other potential genetic biomarkers. And what's so exciting about the work that Andrea does is she's now working on alpha-synuclein biomarkers, alpha-synuclein vaccines. So this means you can extend to other dementias, you can extend to other things. So she's got work in the Downs community, for example. Mm -hmm. So this notion of precision medicine, because not everybody has the same mix of dementias as the next person. And particularly the Downs community has been one that we know that most Downs victims will eventually get Alzheimer's. And here it is that we haven't been testing drugs in those people because we are so sensitive about them. 
So perfect segue into good partnerships and collaborations. Tell us about what have been the most efficacious for you. Well, there are different dimensions, right? There is the, the private pharma partnerships and one of the partners we are working with now since quite some time and are launching the first prevention study with an active immunotherapy is Johnson Johnson, which has started last year. And it's the first clinical trial in a preclinical population, so pre-symptomatic population. It's a relatively large clinical trial with 500 patients we treat for four years. And we really want to prove a hypothesis that with such an active immunotherapy, you can actually stop the spreading and the seeding of what we call the tau protein. So that's certainly one of them. But then there are other dimensions. Very much appreciating the collaboration with George on the duck. I was a little bit involved in the initial phase because I felt, in fact, I think the first meeting in Davos, we organized at the WEF because I really, really strongly felt that Alzheimer's should be on the agenda of the WEF. It finally is mediated, supported, driven by George and his people. So I'm super happy. So that's very important. And then there's also the CUI initiative and the CUI initiative has now a vaccine group, which again excites me a lot because we need global harmonization. We need to work with regulatory agencies. We need to work with governments because the governments have to help us to implement what we have learned from COVID. And this is my biggest concern right now. How do we convince the different governments to actually almost update their national plans to include nationwide diagnosis, to include registries so that we have actually access to these people? So that has to come. How do they do that? Not yet, by talking, <laughs> <laughs> by talking to them. By actually. talking to them. Yeah. Andrea referenced the Global CEO Initiative, which is sort of the corporate roundtable of the patient community. And that roundtable on work group on vaccines includes eight companies. It includes four regulators from around the world. And it's going to include scientists, both basic scientists and clinical trialists, as well increasingly with payers. Because each one of those groups has got to say, this is a problem which we would like to solve together. Each of us has a different role. Regulators have to approve the drugs. Payers have to pay for the drugs. But there are issues at each stage of this. And as we know from our history with COVID, there's vaccine hesitancy. And whether people would adhere to a vaccine through time is in order to get the payoff, Andrea described financially and economically and socially. This is going to take a team effort. So from a patient's point of view, we want government, scientists, industry, and patients all to be at the table with a common goal with their different rules. With this new injection of interest and energy, with at least within the research community, how's that translated here at WEF this year? And the benchmark would be 2023 versus 2024. How would it compare? You see more and more initiatives, you see more and more meetings taking place, more and more invitations also to me, for example, by private industries, by investors, etc., etc., by foundations. So I think there is a certain readiness to go to the next step, which is absolutely needed. And by the way, the 2029 is only possible if everybody is on one table and we are all going in one direction. And COVID has shown it in Alzheimer's, we are not yet there. I was going to ask you what you look forward to, but I guess you're looking forward to 2029. Yes, and before. <laughs> and before. Because, yeah, let's uh, talk about the steps in between, yes. <laughs> no, but as George said, before we have the first readouts from our office, uh, 
to clinical trial on the anti-beta vaccine. So this would be, if you like, the modeling of what has happened to the antibodies. And we see some readouts in Q1s, some readouts when later in the year. And if they are positive, we can actually go straight into a accelerated development, which of course would assure the 2029 deadline. And it's really what I'm focused on. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would say the next two years is going to be driving blood-based plasma markers into the clinical field. So the doctors, even primary care doctors, begin to take blood tests and we can ascertain who is at risk for this disease. So that making things less expensive, more accessible, and get more primary care, even community health workers that we work on in rural settings in Kenya can take blood tests. Or we're trying in Kenya to see whether you can do it with a saliva swab and get the same result. So we're trying to lower the cost, increase the accessibility of the means of screening, which are going to be essential to getting widespread use of uh, innovative medicines. And by the way, just to follow up on what George said, our vaccination or active immunotherapy needs exactly this information. We need to have access to this registry, so this patients or people at risk in order to really do what we need to do, because we need to have large access to uh, people with the risk of Alzheimer's. So the work which is going on here in the communities, et cetera, et cetera, has to happen so that we can bring to a patient prevention, of course, better quality of life. I'd say one thing this year in Davos is that everyone's talking about the brain and talking not just about suppressing disease, but how do you increase the capacity and resilience of the brain? Because we now know increasingly that there is a great plasticity to the brain at all ages. And so prevention is now on the scale. How do we basically deal with all the risk factors associated with feature dementia, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, and lifestyle? And so that is on. So the whole notion of preventing disease that way, as well as how do you enhance brain health in employer settings, by employers, by governments? How do we have national policies to regard brain as a brain capital item as something to invest in? in terms of expanding. Everyone, there's a lot. If you go up and down the street now in Davos, you see nothing but artificial intelligence. We want to enhance actual intelligence. (laughs) That's what AI means, actually. Actual actual intelligence. Yeah, and if I just may add uh, one point to this, my sort of hobby, besides my real job, is actually to really look into this non-pharmacological, as we call it, changes, which you can do, lifestyle changes, just mention it, in order to actually keep the brain health And I think we have to really start thinking how the pharmacological, so medication and non-pharmacological work together and both together actually we enhance brain health. So that's really what we want to achieve. Where are we at from one to 10 as we finish up our conversation? If 10 is great and exactly where we want to go and one is where we don't want to be at all, where are we? I let George start. (laughs) I would say two, but I can see 10. You can see 10, okay. Mm, I would go maybe a little bit higher because I see a lot of very good specific medication now coming up and the diagnostic field is being revolutionized. So maybe I would go to a three or four. Hope is the main logic. There you go. I'm, I'm totally with both of you on hope as well as real results. So Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative, Great to be here at WEF as we sit here on the promenade here in 2024 with a great view on what we've seen in research recently and how to look forward to 2029. So thank you both. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. We'll see you next time. 
Thanks for tuning into the Brain Health News Podcast. Be sure to visit healthunmuted.com for more podcasts and information about brain health. Please also visit www.davosalzheimerscollaborative.org for more information about the work they're doing to shape the future of brain health on a global scale.